Lovell from the band Dinosaur Ghost is the song opening episode 198 of Monster Kid Radio, your podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Thank you to Dinosaur Ghost for letting us play their music on the show. You can find them at dinosaurghost.bandcamp.com. When you're done listening to this podcast, of course, I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show and welcome to our coverage of the movie 1940. One of my personal favorite subject matters ever is present in The Mummy's Hand. Talking about this movie with my colleague, Nicholas Hatcher, the man behind the Vampire Over Hollywood podcast, where he talks about nothing but Bela Lugosi films. He's also got some other projects coming up, and he took some time out of his day to talk about The Mummy's Hand with me here on Monster Kid Radio. So we're going to be doing that here on this episode of the show. I also want to address something awesome that happened just last night at the end of the episode. And I have a little bit of feedback to go over regarding some previous episodes. And you know what? I kind of want to do one of those pieces of feedback right now because it's relevant to what we're talking about here on the show. This email comes from Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast. You can find him at supermatescomic.blogspot.com. The subject heading of his email was The Hand That Rocks the Mummy. I like that subject heading so much. I'm using that as part of the title for this episode of MKR. He writes, Hi, Derek great episode he's talking about tuesday's episode where nicholas and i broke down the cast and crew of the mummy's hand he continues i'm a big fan of the karis movies i think you guys hit it on the head the original karloff slash imhotep film is a masterpiece but the karis films are just more fun you can turn your brain off and just sit back and enjoy the formula and it begins here i know it's blasphemous to bring these up but it needs to be pointed out that the modern mummy movies owe a lot to this film with the adventurous but humorous lead characters and the overall tone of the picture sure they threw imhotep's name in there but in a lot of ways they are closer to remakes of this film than the original plus hammer co-opted some character names from this film for their first excellent mummy film oh and tom tyler has another superhero under his belt the Phantom. Tyler played the ghost who walks in the movie serials, as well as the big red cheese Captain Marvel. Looking forward to part two, Chris Franklin. Again, he's behind the Supermates podcast at supermatescomic.blogspot.com. You can also hear him at the Power Records podcast at powerrecord.blogspot.com. So in the previous episode, Nicholas and I were talking about Tom Tyler, and he brought up that Tom played Captain Marvel in one of the serials. I didn't know that he had done that. I also didn't know that he had played the Phantom, but now I really want to check that stuff out. Now, in this episode, where Nicholas and I talk about the plot of the movie, and yeah, heads up, spoilers, big time. Uh, we do talk about the Brendan Fraser films briefly, and compared to these movies, we're not really fans, so uh, spoiler there too. We also do talk about the Hammer film, and you know, there are a lot of Hammer Mummy movies that I absolutely adore. I'll probably play a trailer or two from those in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I love this movie. I love the Mummy films. I'm looking forward to talking about the rest of the Mummy films with Nicholas. But first, why don't we get through the Mummy's hand right after this? He who is buried here shall henceforth have no name, shall cease to exist in the minds of man as she has ceased to exist in life. Thousands upon thousands of years she lay there, perfectly preserved in all her beauty, in all her evil. the centuries to another time, to another place, she is back amongst the living to claim all that is hers. You're going to kill me? No, 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 no! To threaten those who woke her from her eternal sleep. Rebirth for terror. Complete 
control over life, over death. Who are you? It was her, as large as life, standing over there. No, it happened. You have to help me. You know its power. I have no mind left, no will. In the name of Terra, she is back. To destroy those who helped to raise her evil flesh and blood from the mummy's tomb. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934. And after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. A podcast about Hammer? I don't want to be the one to cross Tony Stark. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes, and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website, www.1951downplace.com. Oh, so it's not Justin Hammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Mad Monster Party! Mad Monster Party! Starring Boris Karloff and, in order of their appearance... Dracula. Frankenstein. The werewolf. The hunchback. The mummy. Dr. Jekyll. Mr. Hyde. And, in order of his disappearance, the invisible man. Also starring Phyllis Diller as the hostess with the least. Uh, 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 uh. Mad Monster Party. <laughs> it's a come-as-you-are party that's out of this world. You don't get invited. You get committed. It's a psychedelic scary. With the grooviest ghouls of all time. <laughs> Mad Monster Party! <laughs> Anyone? It's a blast. Yeah. Hi, this is Sarah Karloff, and you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. Do you want to kind of go through the plot? Yeah, or? yeah. Why don't we break down the story a little bit? Uh, we, we talked a little bit about the players, talked about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Let's talk about the plot, kind of a high-level plot synopsis here. It's really not overly complicated. It really isn't. In fact, it, it's a very simple story. Um, you know, it doesn't really have the layers that the original Mummy film had. Um, which, <laughs> no, you know, no pun intended. Huh? No. Yeah, no pun intended. Uh, I didn't even catch that until you said that. Yeah, um, I, I went there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we open up with the great George Zuko, and he plays... Professor Andoheb. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's George um, Zuko. Yeah, so let's just say he, George Zuko. He suffers Zuko. from Legosi syndrome. You know, it doesn't matter <laughs> what character is. He's, he's Legosi. You yeah. know, he's a good actor, but he's Legosi. Yeah. Zuko, he's the son of the high priest of Karnak, who was played by Eduardo Cianelli. Did we mention him earlier? No, we didn't. He looks in a lot of TV, a lot of important films, but uh, he's only in this movie for a little bit, but I think he does a really good job. I, I, I believe he's wearing some makeup or something, and uh, he's dying. Mm-hmm. So his son, George Zuko, he shows up, and the high priest begins to tell his son, hey, you know, I'm dying. 
you're going to be the new high priest. I have to pass the whole history of our Egyptian people on to you, which you're, we will all learn is soon going to become a very popular plot point in these films. And, um, <laughs> and so uh, it's now that right at the top of the film, the high priest starts telling him about Karis and uh, the story. And this is where we see the stock footage from the mummy. You know, and just to kind of point out real quick, you know, we're talking about that and how Karloff should have gotten a credit, that sort of thing. Hammer did this too. Oh, really? When they did some of the Hammer films, uh, Hammer mummy films later, they would bring in some stock footage from the Christopher Lee mummy film. Oh, just just a little bit. Not to this extent, though. Yeah, I've only seen the first uh, Hammer mummy movie, which... <gasps> Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I'm a little behind on that. I know. Um, I'm still trying to get all my Hammer stuff watched, but I, I, well, I you have know, I know a podcast you can listen yes. to. Yes, <laughs> and I do, I do. Um, but uh, we can talk a little bit more about that Hammer Mummy after this because it has some connections to this film. Mm-hmm. So here's where we see the stock footage, and they, in the long shots, they're showing. Obviously, the scenes from the mummy, except now instead of it being Imhotep, it's Karis. And he's in love with, instead of Anxanaman, he's in love with Ananka. Mm-hmm. In this version, when he goes to the statue and breaks open the seal after Anxanaman dies, instead of taking out the sacred scroll to bring her back to life, he opens it up and it's a box full of these strange-looking leaves and they're tana leaves i'm not sure if tana leaves are real are they you know i I have no idea i only know tana leaves from this film and i believe they're fictional okay i i have no idea but he gets caught like imhotep got caught in the original and he is wrapped up buried but in the original wasn't he buried and then but in this one he was like his coffin was or his tomb was moved or something i kind of got lost here a little bit that was a little odd yeah and so they apparently he was supposed to be buried here but then somebody killed all the people who were watching and then they moved the the coffin or i don't know i anyway so he's buried alive and according to the high priest he's never really died so during the cycle of the full moon, which again, weird. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know where that came from and I had forgotten about all that. I had completely forgotten. It had been a few years since I've watched all these mummy movies. I had completely forgotten that it had to be during the cycle of the full moon, which I thought, what? And this is before the wolf man. So I don't know if maybe that had some sort of influence on it or something, but this movie was released uh, the year before the Wolfman. So that's kind of interesting to think about. Right. But anyway, so he, he tells Zuko that uh, if you take three of these Tana leaves and he shows him that he has a, a big old stack of them here in his little uh, Egyptian hideout. And he, <laughs> he says, I have, if you take three Tana leaves and you administer it to Karis during the cycle of the full moon, it will keep him alive. And I guess that he's been doing this, or and his ancestors have been doing this, and blah, blah, blah. But if anybody does enter the tomb, he needs to give him the fluid from nine tana leaves. And when he gives him nine tana leaves, then he will restore fully, and he will, uh, he'll be able to walk around and things like that. Uh, I love this scene, even though it uses so much stock footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was really well done, and obviously, you know, any scene with Zuko in it is going to be worth seeing in the film. Sure. I mean, it does set up the, the story pretty quickly. And if it, well, it sets up the story for four movies. It, it really does. It does establish yeah. the pattern that we're going to follow for the rest of the franchise. And, you know, Zuko's great. I love the set. Oh, yeah. you know, we talked about how they use all this stock footage to save money. I don't know where this set came from. I can't imagine it was built specifically for this film. I'm sure Probably it was used not. for well, by multiple productions, but it looks great. Yeah, it's really well done. I, it's grand joy. Grand joy it's, it's majestic. I've got no problem with the sets in this film, and that's nice because, you know, this is a B picture. And so it's mm-hmm. it's really nice that the sets were actually pretty well done. I do believe that the when they – at the Egyptian bazaar or whatever, I do believe they really are outside. I don't think they're in a studio. So the film looks good. It does. Yes. He explains all this stuff to him. Then we meet our heroes, which is uh, Steve Banning, who's played by Dick Ferran. He's kind of our hunky hero guy, but he's an archaeologist, too. And then his sidekick, Babe Jensen, who's played by the wonderful Wallace Ford, who we were oh. talking about earlier. 
I see them as kind of, you know, like those best buddies kind of deal. You know, they're, they, they get along really well, but they also work together. But it's not an annoying team up. You know, they, they really play off each other very well. And uh, they play off each other so well that they are both in the next film, too. Which yes. is saying a lot for a universal film. It really is. They usually did not carry over the same people throughout sequels. At least so. the, the the same heroes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or, or good they, guys, I guess. Yeah. And these these guys really are very good. They they really work very well for me, mm-hmm. as we, we talked about earlier. They have great chemistry. There's they dial it back a little bit. It doesn't turn into a hey boss, what do you want to do now, boss? Kind of relationship. Yeah, it, they they are equals. They both have strengths that they recognize in each other, and they're fantastic. Yeah, it's refreshing to see a team yeah. like this. So anyways, they're in the middle of this bazaar in Cairo. And while they're there, Steve is kind of looking around for some interesting things. And he finds this broken vase. You know, we have this funny little scene where the Egyptian guy is asking 75 bucks for it. And Wallace Ford is like, oh, man, that's all we have left in the world. And I can't I can't give this up for a broken vase. And it's, it's funny. But meanwhile, <laughs> we have this kind of strange looking guy sitting over in the corner and he's uh, listening in on everything that they're saying. And uh, we don't think this is important now, but it will be. But Banning thinks that this is an authentic Egyptian relic. He thinks that it may be the way to find out about princess Ananka's tomb. Right. Now we, we learned that, Banning and Jensen are on the outs. They're out of money. Oh, yeah, uh, Banning yeah. has been recently released from his position, his job. They, they don't have any income. Jensen wants just to go home. <laughs> he wants to go back to America. But Banning's like, well, you know, maybe there's one more score we can find here and actually really make our prove ourselves and make our mark. And this vase is our clue. <laughs> Come on. Can we go back to New York? Can we go back to New York? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. So Babe decides, okay, well, let's just see about this, even though he doesn't want to. They go to see Dr. Petri. He is Charles T- Trowbridge. I don't think we talked about him either. No, we really didn't uh, talk about him. But I mean, again, another veteran actor yeah, who adds a little bit of authority. Of yeah, and he's he, a good actor. Yeah. And uh, he actually is working at this museum with George Zuko's character. And so Banning brings in this vase to him, and and of course, you know, he's never seen anything like it. These hieroglyphics are so impressive and everything. And so they say, well, let's go talk to uh, Professor Andahev about it. So they go talk to him, and this is where we meet Zuko again. I believe that the earlier scene took place a good amount of years earlier, because if you notice, in the earlier scene, Zuko's hair is black. And then in this scene, it's turning white. And so I think that there that is supposed huh. to imply – yeah, I noticed this last night when I was watching it. I haven't noticed it before. So I think this is supposed to imply that that was maybe like 20 years ago maybe. They never okay. say it. But I, I did notice that little thing because when, when he first walks out at the beginning of the film, I was like, oh, Zuko's hair is black because I'm used to seeing him with white hair. And so I kind of get that feeling that this is like 20 years after that. Sure, sure. And this is the first time we realize that Andoheb is, is actually working at the museum as well. I mean, yeah, before, yeah. we didn't really know much about his background outside of he's now the high priest of Karnak. So. Yeah. So don't quote me on that, but that's just kind of the feeling I got. No, it's like I'm darn. I have to go back and rewatch it again to oh, see if I catch no. it. I know. <laughs> it's only an hour. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so – this is where we start seeing George Zuko at his this like I, I mentioned the scene earlier. He's just like a snake, and yes. he sees he sees this uh, important piece of history, and he's looking at it, and he says, "This isn't real at all. This is a fake, and this is I can't believe you brought this into me, and and I will never support you, and everything." And Banning and and Babe are like, "What is going on with this guy? You know, what is his problem?" He says, you know, I, I, I highly recommend that you stay away from anything that has anything to do with Princess Ananka. And it's very, you know, suspicious. And then, as they're about to leave, Zuko drops the vase. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. it was. I started laughing because like, I was like, oh, man, that's just perfect. Yeah. And, and his reaction is great. He's like, oh, I... I, I hope you'll let me pay for that. And Banning knows what's up. He knows that he's lying. And so he's like, don't worry about it. And they just leave. And uh, after this, we see the Egyptian guy who was spying on Banning and Babe when they were in the uh, the bazaar. And he walks in and we realize that he's working for Zuko. Mm-hmm. So 
They're down on their luck. They got nowhere to turn. They got no money. He really believes that this is really something that'll lead him to the tomb of Princess sure. Anonka. And and Petrie's on board too. Yeah, he's he's ready. He's like, if you could find the money, I'm going with you. Yeah. They go to this bar, and <laughs> this is one of the best scenes in the film. And uh, they go to this bar and they meet an American magician named Salvani, who's played by this by Cecil Calloway, who we were talking about earlier. And he's just this fun loving guy. He's got he doesn't have any cares in the world, and you know he he looks like he 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 walks in and he's wearing this suit and he's got a cane, and so he looks like he's got some money. Which catches Pape's attention right oh, away. Oh, absolutely. And he's like, oh, I can I can get this guy. And he's actually been doing card tricks with the bartender to try to get him to win free drinks, and he's been winning. And so Babe's like, oh, I, I can get this guy. I can get this guy. I'll do this card trick on him. He'll give us the money, and uh, we'll be good to go. Well, what he doesn't realize is that there's a sign on the wall that has a picture of Salvani saying that he's this great magician, but Babe doesn't even see it. No. So we have this amusing little scene where he does the card trick and and of course Silvani, you know, hides the cards so that Babe can't find it. And it's funny, they become fast friends and they go and sure. sit down over drinks, they start saying, you know, we have this opportunity, we really wanna uh go find the tomb of Princess Ananka and Silvani seems like he's the kind of guy who's looking for things like this to give money to you know he kind of he kind of looks like he's he's trying to you know find investments and things like that and things that interest him yeah his magic career didn't really do very well in egypt the egyptians didn't appreciate his act very much so yeah you know well i'm not sure how that would go over in egypt but you know i i so anyway he's he's like yeah i want to fund your quest and you know i want to do this i want to help you guys out well at the same time back at their hotel his daughter, Marta, played by Peggy Moran, is packing up all the boxes and she's like, we're going back to New York. And she's really excited about it. She's ready to get out of Egypt. And I think she's kind of fed up with the whole thing. She's packing everything up. Well, then Zuko shows up. Yeah. And he shows up and you're like, oh my gosh, what's he going to do? And he tells her, hey, these two guys are going to come to your father and they're going to try to steal some money from him for an archaeology a quest. And they're not real. They're frauds. And they're going to take him for every dime that he has. And she's like, how do you know this? And he says, don't worry. I know it. And it turns out that his uh, <laughs> his guy has actually been his guy has actually been following them around. And it's at this point where he kind of gets his eye on her. They don't really talk about this very much until the end of the film. But it's here that he sees her and he kind of starts getting some feelings for her. And, and it's kind of starts for I think originally the plan was to revive Karis and have him kill these guys but now he's kind of like okay well maybe he can get this girl for me right so they get the money and Silvani shows up at the uh, at the hotel and has to tell his daughter hey uh well he's drunk at this point this is after yeah. they had a bar fight too yeah this, oh yeah the bar fight yeah which is great the whole bar scene is wonderful oh it's, i could have hung out in that bar the entire movie it was oh awesome. yeah and uh, so he shows up, he's plastered, and she's like, what are you doing? Where have you been? Did you get the tickets for us, for us to go back to New York? And he's like, oh, I didn't get the tickets, but I got something a lot better. And, <laughs> and of course, she's not having any of it. So she takes drastic measures. I think she she said it's like a trick gun. I wasn't sure if it really was a trick gun or not. So she, Yeah, she talks about how she's going to take her trick gun over to Banning and Jensen and get their money back. It doesn't need to be a trick gun if that's what you <laughs> I don't understand what that was about and then you know i'm almost wondering if they they put that in there to kind of i don't know lessen the i don't know if that was originally there in the film because you know she shows up and she starts shooting holes through the door and i'm just like what are you doing so she shows up she scares the two guys and she's like how dare you do this i want our money back and they're like well you can't have the money back because we already spent it and she is furious. And unfortunately, you know, that leads to a little bit of a negative exchange. She thinks they're frauds. She accuses them of being frauds. But they're like, look, you know, we can prove this. We can take you to Dr. Petrie. This isn't a problem. And she says, well, you guys, if you really are going, you're not going anywhere without me. And here's where we get the scene where, well, we can't go with a woman, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff, which is unfortunate. But, you know. You know, that said, is it at this point that Babe makes – there's a line that Babe delivers that I love, and I'm going to misquote it. Okay. But the gist is, 
can a woman go crazy from being cut in half too many times? <laughs> yeah. And I just, I remember that. Yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, but <laughs> this introduces an interesting relationship because this girl is, a, she's a strong character. I think she really is. I mean, she's shooting, up, she's shooting holes in walls. Uh, she's yeah. taking a stand for her dad. There, there is no Mrs. Silvani. I mean, you get the impression that it's yeah. been Marta and her father for years. And she's really the one that kind of takes care of him a little bit. She's been firing the gun since she was seven years old, she mentions. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. so she's, you know, very well equipped to handle herself, except it's a movie from the 40s, so every once in a while they got to throw in the. Yeah. But she's a good character, and yeah. I, I, I do like that it's not like. It's obvious that Vanning, you know, notices her beauty. She's a beautiful woman. <laughs> she's but, pretty, uh, isn't she? Oh, you. <laughs> yeah. You know, she he notices, but it's not like. She's going to be mine. You know, it's not like, I'm sorry. I love John Agar, but it's not like Agar. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not like she's going to know me very well. You know, it's not like that. So, and that, that's, that's a little refreshing in my opinion. I'm, don't get me wrong. I love, no. I love the Agar, but, but no, I, I, it makes perfect sense in this film. Banning's first love is archeology span or Egyptology absolutely. and that she's getting to come along on the adventure. Well, that's a benefit. That's a perk. Yeah, there's but, nothing wrong you know, with that. Even yeah. when they get out in the middle of nowhere and it's just them, he's still focused. It's Absolutely. not, you know, we're going to get in her tent and, you know, you know, it's just, it's nice. Yeah. They go off on their expedition to the Hill of the Seven Jackals, which is a great name. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and they show up. This is another example of some good sets. Or I'm not even sure if it's a set. It may be outside. But it, it looks really good. They, they start digging and looking for the tomb. While they're digging and, and checking things out, they find a tomb and they think, oh, we found it. Here it is. And uh, they believe it's the tomb of Ananka. So they go in. They find this uh, very old coffin box thing. And they open it up. And it is not Ananka. No. It is Karis. And, man, he looks good. Just the, the makeup and the bandages. We've mentioned it earlier. Man, they look good in this movie. They also find a big old vat of tana leaves, yeah. and uh, which I always think is hilarious. But it's just, <laughs> how convenient! Um, yeah, exactly. They find the mummy. They find the tana leaves, and it's a it's a it's the best find since the Tutankhamun. Mm-hmm. But they also notice that Ananka isn't there. So they start dissecting everything. They they pitch a tent. They set down camp. We have a couple of good scenes here, like the first night scene where the full moon is out and the wolves are howling, which is just strange. Are there wolves in Egypt? There's wolves, and then Babe Jensen keeps talking about the jackasses. No, jackals. Yeah, that's what I said. Jackasses. They're the same. Same family. I don't know. What? It's like, oh. anyway, I, I just, let's just throw logic out the window and enjoy this. Sure. Um, but <laughs> Well, it's consistent. I love that he calls them jackasses the entire time. I love yeah, it. Yeah, he doesn't. There's never any, like, that's what they are, you know. And uh, so Banning and Petrie, they're looking, they're, they're examining Karis, and they have this cool little scene where they're they're not dissecting him. They're just kind of you know, looking at it and kind of, you know, taking some samples and things. And I like the scene where he's like, touch his face and feel how incredible the, uh, um, the embalming is. The embalming is. Yeah. Right. So I just did air quotes for all <laughs> yeah, the listeners embal- at home. Embalming. embalming. Yes. <laughs> like, okay, well, I mean, it's a cool scene though. You know, I was like, Oh, this is interesting. <laughs> you know, he's touching the mummy's face. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's kind of strange. But Which I we like know it. is a bad idea. Yeah, it's but... never a good idea. So Banning leaves the room and goes out to talk with Babe and all them. Well, at the meantime, I don't know how he – there's like this secret passage in there because all of a sudden Zuko shows up. Yeah. He's here. And, you know, they've been traveling. And so they're like, how did you get here? And so he's P- Petrie's in the – he's looking – he's in the cave and he's like, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, you know, I've – I have my ways. I've been following you and, and I think it's a big mistake that you're here and everything. And, and so then he takes him over to Karis and he shows, Hey, feel his pulse. And of course, Peter's like, what are you talking about? And he feels it and he realizes that there's this very slight pulse and that Karis is actually still alive, which is really cool. He explains to him everything about the Tana leaves. And, and so Zuko's not messing around. He's like, you know what? Nine Tana leaves. And so he just puts it in, <laughs> he puts it in Karis's mouth and Karis comes to life and it's awesome. Yeah. And he just kills Petrie right then and there mm-hmm. and gets up and walks away. 
And that's just awesome. And so then Zuko escapes to the secret passageway. Oh, I didn't mention. So they have like this coin and it's got the quote unquote map that they have to follow. (laughs) It's not really a map, but it's more like a, a drawing and it's this mountain and it has the tomb on one side and then this supposed temple on the other side. And so Zuko has found the secret passageway to go from the tomb to the temple in like five seconds. Right. But the others don't realize that this is there. So they spend a lot of time in the film wondering, well, how is, you know, the the mummy getting here and there and everything. We cut back to the night scene at the tent and everything. And, and uh, they discover Dr. Petrie's dead and everybody's getting scared. So they decide to go to bed. We have this wonderful scene where Karis breaks into the tent and attacks Solvani. Yes. Yes. And this is where we see the eyes, which is kind of jarring the first time you see the film. I remember the first time I watched it and I was like, oh. What did you think of it, though? I mean, uh, do you think it's an effective you monster know, I, look? I, I like it. It's not my favorite. And it doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of how did his eyes become like that. I think I understand why they did it, just to make it a little more creepy, I think. Uh, that's actually the work of John P. Fulton, if I'm not mistaken, who okay. did the great Invisible Man effects. Oh, and okay. The, and all the Invisible Man films. He actually went in and colored the eyes. It's fine. It's not my favorite effect in the world. I don't believe they used it any more after this. They didn't use it after in the Lon Chaney films, did they? I don't think so. It's been a while since I've seen those. Yeah, I, I'm I eager to find out as we continue to cover yeah, it. Yeah, we, we'll find out. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's not the best. I mean, what do you think? I mean... Um, you know, I, I do think it's a little jarring. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, but yeah, then it doesn't. I, I don't know. I mean, it's not my favorite, but it's not horrible. No, you know, I mean, it not, is what it is. It doesn't take you out of it. It never once is like, what the heck is that? You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're just kind of like, oh, that was creepy. You know? So, you know, in some cases it works, some cases it doesn't, but I, I have noticed, I watched the trailer after watching the film last night and they, uh, I guess they hadn't done the effect by the time that they were cutting the trailer. And so right. the it's not in the trailer, which is kind of weird to look at. And I'm watching the trailer and I see that and I think, you know, they really didn't have to right, exactly. to cover the eyes. It just it really wasn't necessary. So if you want to see Tom Tyler's eyes, watch the trailer. And it's a good trailer too. You won't yeah, you it wanna, is. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he tries to attack Silvani. He almost kills him, but he he doesn't quite make it. I think it's because they're not really clear. I think it might have to do something with Marta screaming or he kind of decided to just take her instead. But anyway, he kidnaps Marta. Karis does. Right. Banning and Babe hear her screams. They run to the tent. They see, oh, man, he's been here. He's torn it up. Um, Silvani is uh, is knocked out. So they say, oh, don't worry. We'll go find Marta. I- I'm sure I'm skipping over something. but No, I that's fine. I think – it, it's a short movie. The, yeah. the story isn't overly deep. It's just a fun ride. And yeah, I know he's killed somebody else before. I think he killed like one of the assistants or something before sure. this. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so the important thing though is that he almost killed Silvani and that he he took Marta to uh, Zuko. Meanwhile, we see the awesome temple set up, which is oh man, the best set in the film. Yes, I mean we've got Zuko there. He's got his high priest stuff on. He looks awesome. And yeah. he's just in full evil Zuko mode. Karis <laughs> shows back up. He lays down uh, Marta on the table. And Zuko explains, you're going to become uh, immortal. And you're going to live with me forever. You're going to be my high priestess. And I kind of laughed at that point because she, you know, he says, you'll, you'll live forever. And she's like, no. And I was thinking, wait. That's not so bad. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I was like, well, I mean, I, if I was her, I might become Zuko's high priestess if I get to live forever. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I, I was watching and I was like, is it really that bad of a deal? I mean, I and know. Zuko actually starts to tap into a little bit of mad scientist territory here because he's Absolutely. got this syringe full of fluid and yeah. it's, it's not just Egyptian mysticism here at this point. You know, he's got this syringe and, and I think a lot of that had to do with the, the fact that this was a 1940. Film. Sure, and I love it. Yeah, it, it works really well. It never feels out of place at no. all. You're not going to find anything like that in the original Mummy film because the original Mummy film is very much the old world mysteries and things like exactly. that. Exactly. But this is, there's lots of science in this film. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, 
yeah, Zuko's definitely tapping into that mad scientist role that he played oh so well. Oh, yeah, he's great. Anyway, he kind of sends Karas off to the side. Karas is kind of like his his tool. And so he's like, hey, you're going to go over here. So he's got this plan. He's going to inject her with this with enough Tana fluid to make them both immortal. But Babe arrives just in time, and he just shoots Zuko, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. Because it's the sidekick, but he's not being a sidekick. He's, no. he's being a hero. And it's great. I mean, it's so yeah. blunt. And matter of fact, you wouldn't shoot an unarmed man, would you? Bang, no. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to do whatever I need to do. And it's, yeah. it's, it's another refreshing thing about this movie. You know, I, I really enjoyed that. It, it, that's um, something that like, feels very serial-like, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It feels it does. very much like a serial, the way yeah. that whole interaction happens. Yeah, you know, it's moving things along. You know, it's it's that serial pacing. You know, it's it's like okay, we're just gonna shoot him. You know, <laughs> like yeah, I, I like it. And not just once. Don't he shoot him like three times? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's not just one shot. It's yeah, we're gonna make sure. <laughs> and of course, you know, car shows up again. Sure. And you know, in the meantime, he's been shuffling along, and there's a couple times in the film where I thought, is he lost? Because he he kind of is walking around around the mountain or whatever. <laughs> At least and his eyes like, are all blacked out. He can't see where he's going. So. Yeah, that's uh, there you go. <laughs> and, but I, you know, he. I guess he can smell the tannins. Ah, okay. And so, yeah, I didn't really touch on that earlier. Anytime that they wanted Karis to go do something, one of the little cronies of uh, Zuko would go take that tano, that little vial of tannin leaf fluid and place it wherever they wanted him to go. And so he really is like just a product of trying to get this tannin leaf stuff. Sure. He's like, I have to have this stuff. It's like, it's like a life juice. Mm-hmm. And so he's been walking around looking for this car shows up. There's this big old, you know, thing of tannin leaf juice and it's boiling and it's cooking, I guess. And so he shows up and banning tries to shoot him. And of course it's not going to affect a mummy. And, uh, you know, these, <laughs> come on guys, you know, how, how many, how many supernatural beings do we have to fight before we realize the bullets have no effect? Um, so anyway, um, Marta, she remembered what Zuko said about the Tannily fluid. And so, um, she's, she says, Hey, you know, don't let him have the fluid. He, if he has any more of the fluid, he's just going to get more and more powerful. Karis is about to drink the fluid. Babe shoots the container and it all drips onto the floor. And it's actually a pretty effective scene when it's, yeah. it's all going down. Yeah, it looks really good. And uh, it doesn't look like just water or something. It looks really cool. Like you mentioned earlier, Karis just drops. And he's like, I got to have this stuff. I need my fix, man. Yeah, he's like licking the floor. Yeah, and it's, it's like, great. Oh, man, you know, it shows his desperation, which is cool. Well, licking as best he can because he did cut his tongue out. But still. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess he's kind of like slurping. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I never thought about that. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how he actually. Never mind. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, he. Uh, Banning, he takes this, I, I'm not, what was it? Was it like a, like a torch or something? Yeah. Or? I mean, it's, it's a creepy looking set with, you yeah. know, the torches and the, and the, it's, and he grabs the fire. Yeah. And he throws it on cars. And that's and, a great burn effect. Yeah. Too. It looks good. Yeah. It, it looks really, really good. And that's pretty much it. We, they, they really cut right there and then go to the scene at the end when they're, you know, it's obvious that Banning and Marta are together and they're going back to, uh, he tries to buy some more stuff at the bazaar and they're like, Oh no, we're going back to America yeah. and everything. And that's it. And it's, I mean, it's, it's fast, it's quick, but it gets the job done. And it's a fun, fun, fun film. It's a great ride. I really enjoyed this. And even though it's primarily an adventure movie, there are still enough scary moments. Absolutely. I think does Zuko tell Marta or did the high priest tell Zuko if he ever gets more than nine leaves worth of fluid, you will unleash a demon the likes of which this world has never seen. You know, it's just this <laughs> terrible monster. And, you know, he's going for that entire pot full of Tana juice at the end. I know. And, and, and that's actually kind of suspenseful and terrifying. If he gets his hands on that, man, he probably he probably would. You know, I'd imagine that. Like maybe his leg would would heal, or maybe he, you know, would would be able to move a lot faster. You know what I mean? Well, they do say that that you know oh, you only do? have okay. three le- you only have three leaves, so you know your arm and leg doesn't quite work quite right. But you okay, know, if you I get more of it, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, just fantastic. Yeah, you know, like you said, it does have that adventure film quality. But the thing is, once the mummy shows up, he's there. 
Yes. You know, it isn't like he's there for two scenes and that's it. He's there for the rest of the film. So it's enough of the mummy that you feel satisfied. And, you know, that's not always the case with some of these movies, you know, because especially the the B movie type or the B level type movies from this era specifically. But this one. Yeah, man. You know, I love this movie. You know, I love the first Mummy film, but there are some times where I'm like, man, I just want to watch one of the Chorus films. You know, I just, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I just want to sit down and watch the, the just Chorus just dragging along. You know, I, just, I don't know. I just, I really enjoy these kind of movies. And the reason I like a lot of the 1940s Universal films is because, yeah, they're a little bit lighter fare, but they get the job done. Those guys knew how to make movies. They really did. And there's a reason that, even though the film like The Mummy's Hand isn't as well-recognized as The Mummy or some of the Frankenstein films, it's still a well-done movie and deserves to be out there. Yes. Thankfully, Universal has uh, re-released their legacy collections, which contain all these films, and I I did pick that up. Just, you know, I kind of wish these things would get a Blu-ray release, though. I really do. I do wish that we'd see more blue releases of the Universal films. I think it's great that we've got at the top five or six yeah. on blue, but I would love to see more. In fact, when they did announce those new Legacy collections, it was kind of a head-scratcher when they just announced them for DVD. Yeah. Uh, we were all kind of, like, hoping for either a Universal Monsters Collection Part 2, which had yes. you know, a lot of some of the other films on there, but that just I just don't think that's gonna happen. It's unfortunate. It it's is a- because, you know, these are good movies and they, mm-hmm. they deserve I feel like they deserve a better fate than D V D. And uh, they clearly made the studio enough money to keep making them. They made four of these movies with Karis, so And then they were all big successes. Yeah. They, they really were. So I think the only time that these movies started kind of dying down was when we hit like house of Dracula. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a shame too, because that's, that's a good movie, but Carradine doesn't get enough credit. Oh, he doesn't. He doesn't. I'm the biggest Lugosi fan, but you can't help, but be thankful that, yeah, we got to see Carradine as, as Dracula yes. as well in a universal film in a universal yeah. film. But yeah, anyone who has, who's listening, who hasn't seen these movies or maybe is, purposefully ignoring them just because it's not Karloff. I don't know why you would, but if you are, give it a second chance because it's a fun ride. It really is. Sure. It's a different machine. It's a different beast. It's a different kind of monster movie. We talked briefly about the difference in the universal between the thirties and the forties. And you see a difference as well between the forties and the fifties. This is a weird kind of, there's some monster stuff happening, but it's designed for the kids, but you still going to find something in it. That's great. There's a lot going on here that I think you can enjoy. I do have a a few problems with the movie. It does go a little, fast for me in some spots petrie mm-hmm. died but nobody spends any time mourning him you know? <laughs> it's true <laughs> you know they just the next scene they're just at the campfire talking you know there are a few moments here and there that just kind of seem to go pretty quickly but overall i think this movie does deliver especially for kicking off a new mummy franchise oh and it does it really well too. yeah the beginning alone just getting that these are the rules here we go I just, mm-hmm. I love that. I absolutely, I love it when monster movies do that. You know, kind of like the Wolfman, you know, it's like, okay, this is what happens as a Wolfman. Here we go. You yep. know, I, because people don't realize before the Wolfman, there were no set rules for werewolves. Yeah. I mean, all the rules that we know about werewolves, silver bullets and all that, that all came from the movies. Yeah. You and know, this that, all, you know, yeah. this, the mummy rules come from this. So, you know, for me, some stuck, you know, some maybe didn't so, like the yeah, fall moon you know. stuff, but well, yeah, that was kind of strange. <laughs> I, I'll be interested. I can't remember, but I'll be interested in seeing if they continue that full moon thing through the rest of these films. Yes, yes. So the next one in the the series uh, is The Mummy's Tomb, which came out two years later. Yes, yes. Okay. And it, it has some of the returning characters, which is yeah, great. Yeah, it has quite a few, actually, if yeah. you don't understand. I, I, I know that... Uh, well, Banning's in it. Banning's in it. Babe is in it. Although I know Babe has a different name, which is kind of strange. Yeah, he's changed your name. He's um, Babe Hansen, mm-hmm. which is weird. And then of course the great George Zuko can continues his uh, mm-hmm. his mummy movie run, which is always going to have me watching if if George Zuko is involved. Sure, and of course so, Karis turns back up. But yeah, you know, th- th- then we'll get to that. We'll have you back on the show to talk about that one as well because I I think and, and I remember correctly, I love these movies. I haven't watched the Universal Mummy movies in a while. I've been spending a lot of time in Hammerland with the Mummy films. Yeah, me too. Uh, not the Hammer thing, but I um, yeah, but I, I obviously, but um, I it's been a really long time since I watched these. So when I watched the Mummy's Hand last night, it was kind of like seeing an old friend. It yes, was really. It was really cool, and I'm glad we're doing this together. Sure, sure. Now, you said you wanted to talk about the, the Hammer 
thing for a okay, second. Okay, so yeah, I have seen the first Hammer Mummy film, obviously the most popular one with uh, the great Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Egypt, 4,000 years ago. A land of strange rituals and savage cruelty. Many of their secrets are still hidden from the eyes of 20th century man. Secrets that protect their dead. Supernatural powers that once released can live again in our modern world. The Mummy, the Living Dead, bringing terror and death across 4,000 years. He was a high priest of the great god Karnak. Until one night, he attempted the ultimate in blasphemy. He was condemned to guard forever the princess he had loved and protect her from intruders. Go now. Go and destroy those who desecrated the tomb of our princess. He who robs the graves of Egypt dies. Who robs the graves of Egypt dies. I find it interesting that that movie is more of a remake of this film than the original Mummy. It really is. It really which is. Which is really telling, I believe, mm-hmm. in terms of the popularity of of this movie and, and the fact that, you know, I, I really think lots of people really caught on to that Karis character. You know what I mean? Sure. And, uh, but they take elements from the first mummy, a lot from this movie, and then a little bit from the mummy's tomb mm-hmm. for, uh, for that mummy film. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I wanted to bring that up. You know, and again, it goes back to the pop cultural impact yeah. that the Karis films had is that when Hammer came around and did theirs, they were more, in line with this other run from the 40s as opposed to the original Karloff. Mm-hmm. I hate to bring it up again, but you know we mentioned the Brendan Fraser movies, and I believe yes. that mummy, is that mummy Imhotep or is that Karas? It's Imhotep. It yeah. is Imhotep, so they go back well, to that. Well, it's not Imhotep, but well, it's the their name. version of yeah. Imhotep. Karloff is Imhotep. But, <laughs> um, but, sorry, I get very oh, defensive. Me. I get very <laughs> defensive about these things. You should hear me talking to... Uh, to people at work who bring up these new films, and I'm like, no, you have no idea. I'm like, just, just calm. You, you, you need to calm down. You have no idea. Oh man. Sometimes I need to apologize because I get very, very uh, crazy about these movies. So, but, you know, again, this is a safe place. Yes, yes. You know, there, there, there is a place for that stuff. I guess there's people out there who enjoy those movies, but for me, you know, I always look back to these universal classics and, uh, they just, they do it for me every time. I think I talked a little bit about this when I was on your show the first time, but I love all sorts of these genre films, not just monster movies. And, you know, I, I try to watch a whole bunch of different kinds of things, but every time I come back to these universal films, it's just the most satisfying, Mm -hmm. the most fun, you know, these are the movies that were the groundwork for everything that came after, you know, even when we can get into the slasher stuff. I mean, that all comes back to these films and they're, they're still my favorites. They really well, you are. Know, you mentioned the slashers. It's been argued, and I agree, that if you look at some of these mummy movies, they're kind of the proto slasher films. Uh, especially Jason, you know, yeah, things like know. that. I you mean, know, you see I, it more with the Hammer films and the Universals, but yeah. still, I mean, they're pretty much, the, you know, people went and did something they shouldn't have done, and now there's this unstoppable killer knocking them off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... And yet these are done so much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I like a lot of those too, but I just, there's so much to be found in these mm-hmm. Universal films, and I think it shows that I can come on the show and we can talk for an hour and a half about... The Mummy's Hand. Has it been that long? Man, we've talked longer about the movie than the movie itself. Yes. I mean, I think, and I think that's very telling of these films. They're so well done. Even a B film like The Mummy's Hand. There's just so much to talk about. There's so much to take from it. So I'll never get tired of these movies. I never will. We mentioned at the beginning of this, 
mummy films. You, you put mummy in the title, you put a mummy in the cast. I'm on board. So Absolutely. I, I even watched, you know, the Frankenstein versus the mummy earlier this year that came out just because it has a mummy in it. You know, I mean, I, I'm on board with any mummy movie universal or otherwise. There are some great ones from this era and in the fifties. I'm a big fan of the Pharaoh's curse from 20th century Fox. Mm-hmm. So that one's a good one. That's I mean, a good one. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a really good one. And it's that's one that I doesn't like. really get talked about. Yeah. yeah and it, that that's very much kind of a Kara's feel to it. Yeah, yes. I I, mm-hmm. I really like that one. And you know, we can even get into you know, I'm a big Paul Nashy fan, and he yes. did he did a couple of mummy things, and I really like that. Now, have stuff you seen too, his so. Vengeance of the Mummy? Yes, I have. That's a and it is very good. Yeah, that's that's one that's actually owned by Dorado Films, the company that I work for. And oh yeah, the, I mean that one's just fantastic. He had a love for this stuff, too. So he was very much a monster kid. And then he also has a mummy in uh, Assignment Terror as well, which is sometimes <laughs> sometimes known as Dracula versus Frankenstein. I love that movie. I don't care what anyone says. Um, it's, it's a glorious mess. And unfortunately, there's it. not a good print of it or transfer out there that I've found yet. The day there is one, I'm snatching it up because well, yeah. that is that is like a modern day monster rally. and I It really is. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense, but I don't care because it no, is awesome. No, it's great. And it's got Michael Rennie in it for crying out loud. So when, I mean, I mean, come on. God, they the Earth is still, oh my uh-huh. God. Yeah. You see the influence that these films had, you know, years and years and years after the fact. And, you know, I really hope with this whole new, as you call it, universal initiative, unite. Yes. Yeah, universal unite, <laughs> I, you know, I just, I hope that they wake up and say, hey, they could even do maybe like an Imhotep and a Karis kind of thing. How cool would that be? You know, how how awesome would that be? I hope that there's somebody over there who knows what they're doing. And well, well now I want to see somebody write some fan fiction, Imhotep oh, versus yeah. Karis. That's how what I want cool, to see. How cool <laughs> would that movie be? I mean, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Oh, sign me so. up. i'm all there man no i love me a mummy movie and universal did it the best so i don't think we've talked mummy films on monster kid radio really in depth Uh, i know we've talked about one of the hammer mummy films over on 1951 downplay so i think this is a good place to start with the mummy stuff and we'll have you back on the show down the line to do uh the next in the series there's four of these films so there's three more to go we get Lon Chaney Jr. in the next one. So I just want to make it clear. I kind of sound like I was bashing him earlier. Absolutely in not. And the, I, you know, I love Chaney. He does a good job. It's just, you know, Tom Tyler, I feel like he did a really, really good job. So sure. I am excited to come back and talk about uh, all the rest of the Chaney Mummy films. So sure. it's going to be great. It'll be good, man. We'll have you back on here. And if people get impatient waiting for you to come back to Monster Kid Radio, of course, they can find you on your podcast. The website again, please, sir vampireoverhollywood.com we release a new episode every two weeks i also have a uh, blog my undead drive-in blog uh i think it's undeaddrivein.blogspot.com and uh, you can find out all sorts of information there i'm actually going to be launching a couple new projects pretty soon and so you can find all the information on there you can like us on facebook and just go to Facebook and search for Vampire Over Hollywood. Please give us a like, and thank you for helping me out with that earlier this week. I, I kind of did a little Facebook like initiative and, and gained a whole bunch of new likes, so we're almost at 100 now. So just wanted to thank everybody for that. Right on. Yeah, I don't know what you get for getting so many likes on Facebook. I never got my toaster from Zuckerberg for hitting so many, so I don't know what happened. There, so. <laughs> I don't. I, yeah, I don't. I don't know if I get some kind of a. I don't know some kind of a bonus or so. I don't. I don't even know what I get. I get to. I don't know. Be an official Facebook page. I don't. I, 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 I don't know. Whatever. I, I just know that hey, if I get more likes, then more people are listening. So something like that. Yeah. So that's that's all that matters to me. I just I just want to make a podcast people enjoy listening to and. And I just want to get more of Lugosi's films out there. So we love these movies talking about these movies while a microphone happens to be recording. Well, yeah, you know, that's the bonus. So vampireoverhollywood.com. Yep, absolutely. And then you mentioned undeaddrivein.blogspot.com. I don't think I have a link to that in our sh- over on our website, so I'll make sure that gets put up there. And I'll update the link to the URL since you just picked that up. Thank you, so sir. So we will make that. that happen. Nicholas, my man, thank you so much for being on the show this time. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Big thanks to Nicholas for joining me for this conversation about The Mummy's Hand. It's a lot of fun to dive into, and I'm looking forward to having him back on the show probably sooner rather than later to talk about the rest of the Karis Mummy films and get into the mummy portrayal by our man Lon Chaney. And Nicholas, no, 
I don't think anybody thought you were being too harsh on Lon Chaney. It's just that Tom Tyler doesn't get the respect that you and I obviously feel that he deserves. He did such a good job in this movie. I know they blacked out his eyes, and I don't know if that was made perfectly clear when we were talking about his eyes in the discussion, but listeners, if you haven't seen this film, in the film, they went in and they blacked out his eyes and his mouth to give him that kind of spooky quality. In the trailer, it's not the same. I don't know why they did it in the film. It wasn't necessary, and they don't do it with the Lon Chaney movies, but there it is. Again, you can find him at VampireOverHollywood.com. He's also getting a new project off the ground, another podcast called Psychotronic Celluloid. You can find them over on Facebook as well. So go check that out if you want more Nicholas Hatcher in your ears. Spawned from the depths of doom comes the most fearful monster of the ages to strike with paralyzing terror the despoilers of ancient tombs. Here is new horror by the master of menace, Lon Chaney as the mummy, with Dick Foran, John Hubbard, Ellis Knox, George Zuko, Wallace Ford, Turon Bay, in The Mummy's Tomb. that's been alive for over 3,000 years is in this town and it's brought death with it. We've got to run it down. Emails keep coming in about our Planet of the Apes episodes. This comes from Toppy Smelly. He's the force behind the Smellcast over at smellcast.wordpress.com. He writes, Hi Derek, sure was fun listening to your Planet of the Apes discussion. I was born in 1962, so I was too young to be allowed to see any non-Disney movies when Planet debuted on the big screen. Eventually I saw it when it first came to one of the networks as a movie of the week feature, I went ape crazy. As you were to Star Wars as a kid, I was to Planet of the Apes. I read the novel even though it was beyond my usual reading comprehension. Roddy McDowell and Kim Hunter became my favorite people on Earth. One time on the Carol Burnett show, Roddy McDowell came out in full ape makeup. I went ape nuts. I was cray-cray bonkers for all the sequels, but never saw any of them until they came to TV. Then in 1974, when it came to TV as a weekly series, wow. Around 1974, I began a failed attempt to film my own Planet of the Apes Super 8 film with our own makeup effects. Sadly, it doesn't survive. It's lost somewhere. I've been able to appreciate the original eight movies on a much more nuanced way as I've grown older. And even on Monster Kid Radio, I just learned about the spacecraft being named Liberty. Cool. It was so great to share in your enthusiasm for the movie. Thanks. P.S. Roddy McDowell is not Cornelius in the first sequel. He regretted the decision not to be involved and made sure he was in every other version straight on up to the TV series. This is again from Toppy Smelly. Yeah, you know, uh, we talked about the Roddy McDowell thing last time. I can't wait to dive into the rest of these movies. It's really something that's going to happen this year. Scott Morris has got a schedule set, in fact, for when we're going to record about these movies. So it will be happening this year. And I think I'm really lucky that I got to see the movie for the first time on the big screen the way that I did. Although, I kind of missed the movie of the week thing. Yeah, we can get movies on Sven once a week on MeTV and things like that. But I would just love to see more old sci-fi and fantasy and horror movies on television on a regular basis. On the major networks, I think it would just be... More fun to flip through channels that way on a Friday or Saturday night or Tuesday or Wednesday. You know, any night I'm not working on the podcast, basically. Anyway, thanks for writing in, Toppy. Now, if you want to write into the show the way Chris or Toppy did, you can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Or if you want, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5657. K-R. Now, you can find this over on our website at monsterkidradio.net, where we have everything else going on with Monster Kid Radio. You can find a link to our live 365 internet radio station. This is where we have music playing 24-7, trailers, soundtracks, songs, 
It's nothing but audio gold from the classic monster movies and sometimes not so classic monster movies that we talk about here on the show. It's free to listen to. It is commercial driven, so you get the occasional ad from Geico or something or other. But you can put up with that if you're going to get some Ronald Stein or Les Baxter, Hans J. Salter, and all the rest. Every month I'm adding new tracks to the Live 365 Internet Radio Station. You can find out what tracks are being added, well, either by listening or by signing up for the Monster Rally Checkpoint monthly e-newsletter. You can do that over on our website as well. Over on the right, there's a place for you to put in your email address, hit subscribe, and you're in. You can also do this through the Facebook page at facebook.com slash monsterkidradio or by becoming a patron. You automatically get added to that email list. Speaking of patrons and our Patreon page, I want to say thank you to everybody who's been a patron of Monster Kid Radio. In fact, this is the last episode of the month, so special shout-outs to Andy Campbell, Joseph Perry, Justin Giallo, Maya Duncan, Ron Kirkley, Scott and Tracy Morris, Stephen D. Sullivan, Steve Turner, Tom and Eileen, Mike Tutino, Anthony Marinucci, Mitch Gonzalez, and Dorado Films for being patrons of Monster Kid Radio. Thank you for your support. And speaking of thanks... I debated whether or not I was going to talk about it on this episode of Monster Kid Radio or wait until next week since episode 200 is coming. And it's a nice round number. Sounds like we should do something special for episode 200. But cat's already out of the bag. Wanted to go ahead and talk about it here on the show. Thanks to you and your support. Monster Kid Radio has won the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award for Best Multimedia. Monster Kid Radio. <laughs> I just... I'm flabbergasted. Monster Kid Radio won for best podcast. And I know that wouldn't have happened if you, the Monster Kid Radio listeners and supporters, didn't vote for us in the rondos. I am touched and I am honored. This means a lot to me. It it means so much. And I want to thank everybody. If I knew the names of everybody who sent in a ballot on my behalf, I'd give you a shout out right now and we'd be here for hours on this podcast. I'm I'm honored. It it really means a lot. I've been nominated before. I've received honorable mention before in the rondos. And I was on that ballot surrounded by a number of incredibly solid nominees for the category of best multimedia. That category was packed with so much Goodness, so many incredible podcasts and video shows and YouTube series. It's just amazing to me that we won, and it's because of you. And I want to thank you for that. From the bottom of my Monster Kid heart, it means the world. Thank you so much. And congratulations to my fellow nominees. Anybody who came in as an honorable mention or placed, anybody who's on the ballot, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. The Rondo Award ballot is an essential tool to continuing your fandom of these classic monster movies. Every year, I use this ballot first and foremost as a checklist of all the books, movies, articles, interviews, podcasts, blogs, everything that I might have missed the previous year. I use this ballot to see what the best of the best was. And then I go and support those podcasts, those websites. I buy the magazines. I read the articles. I read the books. I watch the movies. The man who puts together the Rondo Awards, David, he does an amazing job. This is the 13th year that he's tackled the Herculean effort of running the Rondo Awards. So thank you, David. Thank you to everybody who participated. Thank you to everybody who voted. And again, thank you for making Monster Kid Radio the best multimedia podcast or streaming of 2014. I have a Rondo. That's awesome. So thank you so much. Okay, next week on Monster Kid Radio, episodes number 199 and two. This is a big one. This is a milestone for me. I mean, 200 episodes of MKR. I'm excited because next week I'm going to go back to one of my favorite subjects, one of my favorite topics when it comes to classic monster movies. Sheer stark terror grips you in underwater 3D in Creature from the Black Lagoon. The most terrifying monster of the ages rises from the sea, raging with pent-up passions. Making every man his mortal enemy, every woman's beauty his prey. Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, starring Richard Carlson and Julie Adams. Every horrifying scene leaps out of the screen right at you. A universal re-release rated G. That's right. We're going to dive back into something Gill Man related. We're going to talk about Creature from the Black Lagoon. 
It's all but been set at this point. I have a roundtable discussion scheduled with three previous Monster Kid Radio guests. I don't want to announce who they are just yet, but they've been on the show more than once, and they're well. Okay, everybody who's been on the show has been awesome. But these fellow Monster Kids, it looks like we're going to be meeting online, and I've got a roundtable discussion scheduled with them. That'll be going out next week. Additionally, back when we were doing the Creature Cast Among Us podcast. One of the listeners did an analysis of Creature from the Black Lagoon. What he did is he sat down with the movie and broke out how long the creature's on screen, what scenes he's in, how long the shots are, who played the Gilman at the time, whether it was Ben Chapman or Riku Browning. It's a fascinating look at just how much the monster's really in the movie. So we're going to be going over that as well. Of course, any feedback that we get, we'll be doing that too. Well, I've got a few other things here and there that I'm going to be digging up. So next week, come back. Creature from the Black Lagoon, feedback, and all sorts of monster bits and pieces. So keep your iTunes or your Stitcher radio app or whatever podcast catcher you use locked in to Monster Kid Radio. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. In the meantime, remember, the Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 unported license of course that doesn't apply to the song sand level that belongs to dinosaur ghost it's from their self-titled album dinosaur ghost you can find them over at dinosaurghost.bandcamp.com let them know that monster kid radio sent you their way the song appears on this podcast with their permission talk to everybody next week (laughs) 